I can't wait to hear Reza sing. It's so good. I like what Jeff Lucas says. I, I just love the line. He says, when I sing, people cry out to God. <laughs> I have stood next to Reza when he's singing, and it's, uh, that's why you don't hear him sing. Up here. No, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah, thank you for your investment in reaching the world. And, and just last weekend was such a great indicator of, of your love for God. And so many of you who moved over or were up in our little classroom watching the TV screen. or I just really cannot express to you how much I appreciate the attitude that everybody had and the kindness and trying to get everybody in here. We had almost 11,000 people go through this building last weekend. And that's just a lot of people you're trying to facilitate. I thank God for that. And we've, we have never been a church about the numbers. People say the big church. And honestly, we've never had a numerical growth goal. That's not our goal. We just want to love people where they are and get them in a journey with God. But you guys and your kindness, your warmth uh, makes a difference to those people who come once or twice a year. And so thank you for being that. And thanks for coming back this weekend. We, uh, you know, the one-day offering, uh, the one day to feed the world that goes to Convoy. We had taken an offering for Haiti uh, after the earthquake and received uh, almost, I think, around $40,000 for that. And many of you told me that was sort of my one-day offering, and, and that's great, that's fine. But even with that, 40000 uh, our one-day offering last weekend was another $140,000. So I thank God for your generosity and your heart. And just amazing. So um, God is doing great things, and God is using you. And and I, I will tell you that probably in about three weekends, maybe four, we're kind of launching out a, a big vision of where we're going as a church. It's kind of a, a phase three moment. It's not building a building, though, okay? Thank God. But it's, it's actually to expand. In northern Colorado, we have some great ideas, and, and so many of you are speaking into that now. But it's, it's such an exciting time. I've never been more exhilarated by what God is up to and what He's doing and how He's, he's using His body and His kids. So thanks again for last weekend. I, I thought it would be fun to take the next three weekends and talk a little bit about life after Easter. <laughs> That's what I've called this series, life after Easter. Because for us, especially in this nation, we have it's such a big day and such a big week and leading up to Easter and it's when people will go to church and on and on and on the stories go. But what was it like for the disciples when they watched them put Jesus in the tomb? What was it like for them when He showed up among them after they had seen Him die? See, for us it's a celebration because we know the end of the story. It's like going to a movie when you've already read the book. It's just not the same. You know, it just, it's just not. And so we can't have that sense that they had. And so I'm going to talk today about what I've called the Thomas perspective. The Thomas perspective. We, when we say Thomas, he was a disciple, but what's his label name? <laughs> Doubting Thomas, absolutely. We're going to talk about why. We're going to look at the text of where, why he got that name. Next week, Mr. Foth is going to talk a little bit about the road to Emmaus and, and how Jesus shows up. And then the following week, I'm going to talk about when, when Jesus talks to Peter and some of the challenging things that, that he says to some of his disciples. And all of these are in the window between his resurrection and his ascension off of the earth. 
Over 500 people saw Him. He showed and revealed Himself. They touched Him. He ate with them. So there's all this interesting stuff that happens. But today we're talking about Thomas. What is, just in a nutshell, what is the Thomas perspective from, from my mind and what I want to talk to you about? would be just a couple of things to set the tone for today. Is First of all, why, why do I sometimes feel like God leaves me out? You're going you're gonna to see in a minute, Thomas had to have that feeling a little bit when, when he was left out. But the second part of it that I love is Thomas' perspective is this, that God always hears my prayer. Though I may not know He's listening, I may not even believe He's listening, God does hear your prayer. If you're an atheist in here today, God hears your prayer. Say, well, atheists don't pray. Yes, they do. They're just not sure what they're praying to or who they're praying to. doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. God hears your prayer. Jesus shows up. Now, this is not on the screen, but I want to set the tone. John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, open it up. I'm going to go verse by verse, point by point through this. It simply just says, that Sunday evening, this was the Sunday evening after Jesus arose that Sunday morning, this Sunday night, they're coming, some of the disciples gathered together. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Makes sense. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Now, it's, it's obvious he didn't walk through a door or enter where they could hear him because the doors were locked. He just appears. That's creepy. <laughs> okay? He appears. And I love the first words out of his mouth. He says, peace be with you. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you for saying peace be with us. We're freaked out. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Point one in your outline, if you're jotting stuff down, is this. Thomas missed the party. Thomas was not present when Jesus showed up. How many of you have one of those kind of lives? You know, it's like, I always miss the big stuff. Don't you hate that? It just seems like all the good stuff happens when you're not there, or you get called out, or you miss the scene, or whatever it is that you enjoy. I, I just hate that when that happens, but that's what happened to Thomas. Verse 24 of John 20 says, One of the disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. I, I started thinking a lot about this. How do you suppose Thomas felt about that? He, he wasn't there, and in a minute we're going to see his reaction, but I just want you to put yourself in that position of, why does God seem to talk to other people instead of you? Do you ever have that feeling? Like, you pray just as hard for the job, they get it, you don't. You've, listen, I've prayed for the Broncos for years, it just doesn't work. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I don't have faith either, so that's probably why. But. No, it's amazing to me that, you know, some people have like, like uh, I have a couple friends who God really has given them prophetic dreams a couple times, like where they have a dream that really comes true and it prepares them. And I don't think I've ever had one of those. Most of us just have, you know, my dreams are like an axe murderer chasing me down the hallway or something. How many of you understand what I'm saying? I'm thinking, God, where's my prophetic dream? How come, how come you don't reveal some big thing to me that gets me all jazzed up and excited? Thomas missed 
the party. He had to be frustrated. He had to be a little confused. But number two in your outline, we see into Thomas a little bit. We get into his life here, and it's this. Thomas needed more than human explanation. He needed more than someone saying, this is the truth. This is what happened. Thomas is an experiential guy. He wants to feel it, taste it, understand it. I like Thomas for that. I think it's a little sad that he's called Doubting Thomas. Because I think he's more like we would be. And he's a pretty real person. And he's very brutally honest. As a matter of fact, let me, he's all real honest. Verse 25, look at this. They told him, who's they? The disciples, stop for a second, who are they? They are his friends. They are people he's journeyed with. He spent three years walking around the countryside with them. I mean, this is a huge moment. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said, that is so awesome. I'm excited. Tell me what happened. No, he says, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. I don't believe you. Is that kind of brutal to your friends? He's basically saying, you're a bunch of liars. What is going on in his head? He cannot, he cannot understand. Three really big words. They told him. There, there's a huge difference between we have seen the Lord and I have seen the Lord. Big gap. That's a gap for some of you today. It's hard for you to believe someone else's testimony about what God did for them. Because you need to have it happen to you. And you need that experience. He, he just couldn't take human explanation at face value and believe it. That's a big gap. I, I talked last night to a wonderful man who's a, been a part of our church and his family for years now. And he came up to me with tears in his eyes, and he, he, he almost couldn't speak for a moment. And he said, I'm, I'm an engineer. And, and he said, I, I get Thomas. I understand him. Because um, he, he was probably just in his mind, he couldn't get the, the logic around, they've seen the Lord, but that's impossible. I saw him die. And he's probably thinking things like, look, you, you had a lot of hope, and maybe you were hallucinating. Maybe... Maybe someone thought they saw him and everyone agreed. Maybe it wasn't quite what you thought. And, and that's how we sort of reason and doubt and the complexities of you tell me one thing and I filter it through my doubt, don't I? I filter it through the way it probably was. It wasn't quite as great as what you're saying. I wasn't there to see it, but it couldn't have been quite that fantastic. And Thomas is just having this moment. And I, I appreciate people who have that intellect and logical mind and that, that engineer thinking that says, this leads to this leads to this. And Thomas says, forget it, I don't believe it. Till I see it, I am not going to believe it. It's not rational. Big statement. I, I just started thinking about this in my study. Why don't people believe in God? What are some of the reasons why they don't. And I put it in your notes. Didn't think I would for a while. I thought, I'll just talk about three things. There are lists, like Barna and other researchers have the top ten reasons why people don't go to church, top ten reasons why they don't believe in God. And some of these are on the list. But I just sort of pulled out three things that I, I think affect us and how we live. The first one is, uh, number one, too many hypocrites. That's always like at the top of the list. 
people basically say, well, I just see too many hypocrites at church, and so I'm not interested in their God. If He hasn't changed them, then He can't change me, and people are living a lie, and on and on and on. And I just want to say to that, and maybe for those of you who might be here who have used that as an excuse before, it's, it's probably, I think, the number one cop-out for people who are sort of looking for a reason to ignore the possible God factor in their own life. Because God has never asked us to look at other people to see Him. It's to seek Him out. To find Him. To open your heart, your spirit, your mind to a spirit world. There, this is a spirit world. We live in flesh and blood. But this is a spirit world. And the Holy Spirit can reveal Himself to you. And then I think another thing that's really important for Christians, those of you who are believers, and I know the majority of us probably are, is, is, is just to be careful about your claims. Well, I have Jesus now. I'm perfect. You know, I'm perfect in Jesus. And we have all these little phrases that we say that we understand, I'm righteous now because of the blood of Christ. Not in my own righteousness, but in His. But see, the world doesn't understand that. When they hear you say, I am righteous now because of Christ, and then they see that little temper you have <laughs> or that little whatever they're saying hypocrite and they, they can call you on it and it's it's a challenge you ever been accused of being a hypocrite or someone catches you in anger doing something you shouldn't be doing or an attitude issue i think when you're in a setting where you're not being as godly as you wanted to be i think you should be the first to say in an environment like that to that person say i know you're right i'm i'm truly sorry and think of what I would have been like without Christ. That's a good answer. <laughs> because He tempers us. And He helps us to do better than what we could have done before. Obviously, that's not an excuse for sinful behavior. But the whole idea of too many hypocrites, just don't let that discourage you. And, and don't let others uh, discourage you who say that to you and of the church. Because we are all simply in a journey. Our boasting must be that we have been forgiven by God. And our boasting is in the Lord, not in us, right? So if we just claim that, hey, this is about forgiveness. It's not about me getting it right or being better than you. I'm saved. You're lost. Um, it's about me saying, I have been forgiven. And that's offered to you as well through faith. And people can't really come at you with that. But another, I think reason why people don't follow Christ is disappointment in God. I think this is the biggest of all. Um, for, for some who have started to follow Him, and then they, they drop away, or they just don't have interest, they lose interest because of hurt and pain. And it's very real in our culture. And I meet so many people who say that they've, they've lost their faith in God because God just didn't show up when He was supposed to. Or God didn't do what he had promised to do. And let's talk about that for a minute. Because that's, that's a pretty big statement to say, well, God didn't do what He said He would do. Um, I see people who have been disappointed because of the pain or loss of a loved one, a disease that they got or someone they love got, a death of someone near them, and they start thinking, why would God let this happen? How could this be? I can't, is this a God I can even trust? Some of you have lost everything financially and you think, where is God? When I go through my disappointment in God, and I've been disappointed in God multiple times, 
I have to go back to why was I disappointed? Did I set myself up to believe something that I shouldn't have believed about God? I know that God can intervene in the affairs of man. And sometimes when He doesn't, I don't understand why. But I can promise you, God will never be unfaithful. God will never be unjust. His character and His integrity would not allow it. He cannot be that. So the problem has to lie somewhere else. And as I start looking at my list of disappointments, I started to realize that I was sort of misplacing God and putting me in the slot. God, I really want to have this job. Or God, I really need this. Or I really need to make that happen. Or could you show up? And then we have teachers of theology teaching people literally things like, you just claim it, you just say it, you just let the words come out of your mouth, and God's going to do it. And let me tell you something. That's a lie. There is something real and powerful about the words that come out of our mouth. But I can't make God do something by being ultra-positive about it. It's not, that puts me in the role of God. How many of you see that? So I have to be really careful about falling into this mindset and this trap of saying, God, I'm going to say all the right things, do all the right things, pray a little harder, read a little more, and then you are obligated to bring this prayer about. Now, yes, we can stand in the gap, and yes, we can pray in the will of God, but a true follower of Jesus Christ is someone who says, I die to self. I'm dead. So the disappointments can't come because I'm expecting to die. I'm expecting nothing. If God intervenes, wow, that's a miracle. But I have given God my life to use however, for whatever reason, whether I understand it, whether you understand it, doesn't really matter because it's an eternal picture, not a temporary picture. Now that's tough. But that changes things in my life when I live like that. God is a faithful God. The third reason I put, and I want to address this just for a minute because it's huge. How could a loving God allow such evil in the world? Well, if God is as loving as you say, then how could He let so much evil in the world? How could He let this happen and let that happen? Let's talk about that for a minute. There's a theological term. That is called the fall of man. When did the fall of man happen? Garden of Eden. Clear back in the beginning. Adam and Eve sinned. They disobeyed God. When that happened and sin entered the earth, evil was birthed. No doubt about it. And that evil has been passed down to every person who has ever been born since Adam and Eve. We are born in that sin. That flesh in us, when we are born in sin, we need a Redeemer from day one. So if, if I were to just take this argument to its extreme and say, okay, I'm God. I'm going to wipe out all the evil in the world. Who would be left on the earth? <laughs> no one. I'd be gone. You'd be gone. God is the only one who has done something about it. And that is by creating a Redeemer in His Son, Jesus Christ, who can redeem us and become a substitute for that sin problem in our lives. 
That's the love of God. Think about that. I, if, I'll tell you, I know if I were God, I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be putting some fire on the earth on some people who I can't stand. <laughs> I'm not kidding, man. I look at like human traffickers. And you know, Bonnie and all of us as a church, we're very involved in this anti-human trafficking stuff and the things they do to kids and women. I mean, I can't even read it. I just, I, I, I just say, Bonnie, I can't, I can't read this story. It's, it makes me sick. It makes me mad. It makes me cry. And I just think, oh, God, let me be God for one minute. I will wipe them out. Oh. God sent his son Jesus for those people. They don't deserve it. But neither did I. We have to understand God will be faithful and loving to all mankind. And all have the opportunity to come to Him and follow who He is, the Savior of the world. Okay, i got to hurry here. Third, third in your outline is just Thomas believes because of an experience... Now, it's a great experience, and I like experiences. I'd much rather, I was always a guy that would rather, you know, take a motor apart than to read a book about it. Uh, get, get, get me in there. Let me experience it. I want to go there. Um, and Thomas, I think, is one of those guys. Verse 26, eight days later, <laughs> sorry, I like this. The disciples were together again. Look at this line. This time, Thomas was with them. <laughs> It's almost like, I ain't missing church again, folks. Uh, he's, sort of, he's sort of seeing, last time I missed the party, I'm not missing it this time. Here's Thomas. The doors were locked, but suddenly, just as before, Jesus was standing among them. And then he says it again, peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, now, note, I love this part. Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And then you have this moment where it's personal. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. My Lord, my God. I love this moment because Jesus didn't just show up and say, Thomas, you guess what, you know, last time I was here... And your friends told you that I was there and you didn't believe them. And you're not going to get any brownie points for that. And uh, here's what you're going to have to do. I hope you feel bad that you... Jesus, he didn't mess around with that. See, you can't pay for your lack of belief, your lack of faith. It's not what God wants. Jesus just showed up and he met Thomas where he was. That's what, that's what the Spirit does with you today, right here in these auditoriums. He just comes to where you are. That's why he met Zacchaeus at the bottom of a tree. Hey, come, come on down, let's talk. I'm going to your house for dinner. He, he meets you where you are. Not where you should be. Not where you had hoped to be by now. Oh, I'll get things worked out and then I'll do the church thing. I've got to clean up this habit. I've got to stop doing this. No, you don't. He wants to meet you where you are. He meets this lady caught in the very act of adultery, right there. He meets her there. The woman at the well. He meets her there at the well and talks about life. God will come to you. God will come to where you are. He wants in your pain. He wants in your disappointment. And this is a great example. And he says, Thomas, I know all about it. Put your hand here. Put your hand here. Come on, buddy. 
Don't be faithless. Believe. Wow. I, I would just say, we all need a personal experience with God. We all need a moment when the Spirit of God quickens our spirit. And someone else's story is not enough for me. My mom and dad's religion isn't enough for me. My sisters and their experience, it's not enough for me. I want you to have a my God experience. My Lord and my God. And who that is and what that means to you. Because Jesus wants to meet you where you are. The last thing in your outline is just a question that I want you to ponder for a while. And it's how is faith measured? How is faith measured? Because faith is such an elusive word in our culture. Everything happens by faith. Just believe. You need a little more faith. And then you hear Jesus say, no, it's just a little faith. Mustard seed faith. What is faith? Verse 29. Then Jesus told him, meaning who? Thomas. He's still talking to Thomas. He told him, you believe because you have seen me. He's acknowledging the truth. But then, Jesus says one of my favorite things in Scripture during this gap of resurrection. Because He's talking to me and He's talking to you. And He foresees us. He, he sees us hundreds of years later doing what we are doing in our journey. And He blesses us. He says, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You guys, guess what? That's you. Jesus has blessed you while He was on the earth because He knew you would believe without the same proof that Thomas had. That's pretty exciting to me. Thank you, Jesus, for your blessing in our lives. And some people have a really hard time getting their head around that because faith gets a little elusive. And they say, well, I, I kind of believe this, but I can't buy that. Faith is a, is a walk that's on a ridge. And, and a little bit either way can cause you to go faster that direction. I love what Pascal said. Now I want you to listen to this quote. It's not very long, but it's very meaningful. It's this. In faith, there is enough light for those who want to believe and enough shadows to blind those who don't. Now think about that. I like that because... We are in that walk where we say, I believe, and I, as I move toward the light, it gets lighter. <laughs> but for some of you today in this room, be it disappointment or a struggle, the shadows have you. And as you walk in the shadows, it gets darker. And it's easy to stay there, and the light becomes less and less an option for you. And today I feel like God wants to just say to you, I am here, I am real. And I want to pull you out of the shadows into the light. Will you be people of faith who, though you have not seen, you will believe? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth, for your word, for your heart. With heads bowed in this room, I'm just going to ask to pray over some of you. Those of you that are working through disappointment in your life, just lift your hand. Just, just say, God, I'm, I've been disappointed in some things. God bless you. It's okay. You can put them right back down. It's not for me. It's for you. Disappointment is a real thing. And there comes a moment in your faith walk with God where you offer that disappointment. And you're honest with God. And you say, I don't get it. I don't know what happened here. I've prayed. I've tried. I've done everything I know to do. Yes, you have. So get over it. Maybe there's nothing left to do. 
maybe you stop doing and you just trust a new level. You say, I offer it to you. I die to me fixing it. Because you can't fix it. Secondly, how many of you would just say, I'm, I'm in the shadows more than I'm in the light in my faith walk and the ridge has sucked me down the hill and I feel like the, the darkest ridge got me and has me right now and I, I need to climb this hill so that faith can grow. Yeah, just put your hands up. God bless you. You guys, thank you. For some of you, just the light needs to come on today. You have no faith or little faith and you need to see and you've said, God, if you'll show me who you are, And guess what? He probably won't. He's probably not going to appear in your bedroom and say, touch my hands and touch my side. So you've got a choice to make. Will you let the Spirit of God touch the Spirit of man in you? It's your decision. If you say yes to that, then right now just pray this with me. Lord, by faith I receive your forgiveness. It is real. By faith, I ask you to forgive and cleanse me. I believe by faith, though I have not seen, that you died on that cross and you rose from that dead. And I am grateful. And I give you my future. I trust you now in your name. We pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. You guys, let's understand the Thomas perspective so that we can know God does in fact hear us. And He loves us in spite of our doubting. There's nothing else we can do but to trust Him and move on in our faith walk with God. We're all in a journey, amen? Be faithful. Ushers, come, would you? We're going to conclude today by singing a great song that talks about the faithfulness of God. And uh, thanks for giving. If you're a guest, we don't expect you to give in this offering. Just be our guest. Drop your communication card in right now as it goes by. And Thank you for being here. Many great churches here, and we want you in one of them. And so uh, God bless you in that. You guys, again, thanks for your faithfulness at Timberline. The vision is happening because you have caught it, you believe in it, and you're giving. So, Lord, thank you for this offering. Thank you for the accountability. And let every penny be used for your glory. And the sacrifices people made to bring their tithe, their offerings, they do this unto you. Thank you in your name. You guys have a great weekend. Our prayer team is going to come up here right now in both auditoriums. Take a moment and come and pray with someone if you need that. God bless you.